You are God's building. And I built this foundation, but everyone who builds on it has to build carefully afterward. So it's another description of how we're part of this. We're the living stones and we're part of building more. We're building this church together. And it's so exciting. What are some of the signs of the end times? And what are our responsibilities as we witness some of these signs? As Christians, we must keep watch and know what it means as we see these signs come to pass. Hi, and welcome to this episode of Inside the Epicenter with Joel Rosenberg, a podcast of the Joshua Fund, a ministry dedicated to blessing Israel and her neighbors in the name of Jesus. I'm Carl Muller, Executive Director of the Joshua Fund. And today, we present Joel and Lynn's conversation about the signs of the end times and how we are living stones. When we were planning this trip and talking about what we want for you to experience, of course, there's a million things that we prayed and hoped and planned for. But um, one of the things that is most important to me and to Joel and to our whole team, really, is, of course, that we don't just fix our mind on these dead stones. We've been looking at a lot of stones. This was a great day to talk about stones because we were just walking through saying, like, which are the Roman stones and which are the Ottoman stones and which are the Byzantine stones and studying them. And people you can see holding onto these stones as though they're holy and they're precious to them. Of course, they are precious and they, they mean so much to the Jewish heart that this is where they came for all those thousands of years, where they dreamed of. But we know, we know that they're not holy stones. Even the Holy of Holies, is, it's not there. And we know that we should never go looking for some objects to worship, right? And so, of course, it's so exciting to say, wow, Jesus' feet walked right here. But we know that Jesus lives in our hearts. What an amazing thing for us to think about the fact that those people in the Old Testament, you know, the Holy Spirit only came right every once in a while to certain people when they were going to speak God's word or when it fell in a time of repentance or when God was moving in a certain special way. But they had a distance, right? They had a distance from God. And that was the whole law was meant to show them that there's a distance between you and the Father. It can be closed by faith and by looking forward to a sacrifice, right? And to see this as a temporary sacrificial system looking toward the Messiah. And then when Jesus walked with people, right? I always think when I'm in the Galilee, I could just picture Jesus walking around a corner. That's why I love the Galilee the most, because to me, it's just, this is what he would have seen with his eyes, these hills, this water. But we have even something better than them right? And we have the Holy Spirit living in us. And we know that we are temples of the Holy Spirit. So we don't ever have to worry that there's no temple here or when the third temple will come. That will be an amazing thing that God will do. But of course, we are temples of the Holy Spirit walking around. And I just wanted to remind us of a few verses, because for me, the thing I would love the most for all of you to take home, besides a greater love for the Lord, which is the most important, and a commitment to his kingdom, which is the second most important, but also that you would have take a living stone, some one person that you met here, and that you will remember them. These are the living stones that are walking around in this place among these old dead stones, right? And so if you could just ask the Lord for maybe one living stone that you'll remember and pray for, and you'll know their story, and you'll tell their story, that would be for me a beautiful thing. Here's a few verses. Remember that in First Peter 2, 
Jesus said that he was the living stone rejected by men. He is the cornerstone, the chief cornerstone upon which is built our faith. He was also a rock of offense and a stumbling stone. It's a really interesting thing to do a study of stones in the scripture as a symbol. But we know that Jesus was that. But then he turns and he says to us in 1 Peter, but you yourselves are like living stones being built up as a spiritual house and a holy priesthood. And this is something we need to remember ourselves. Do you remember in Luke chapter 19 when the Pharisees were telling Jesus, he came through just over here, near here on Palm Sunday when he came through and the Pharisees said, tell your disciples, tell all these crowds that are saying Hosanna to just be quiet, just to to quiet them down and to stop. And Jesus said what? If they are quiet, these stones will cry out, right? These stones will cry out. But of course, the stones didn't need to cry out because the people were crying out. And that's our job to cry out, right? To be the living stones that cry out. We don't need dead stones to tell us the story because we're walking around no matter where we are in Iowa or New Hampshire or Florida. We're just as much and more important living stones than anything you'll ever see here, really, right? So we just need to keep that in our mind. Of course, in Matthew 16, when Peter and the disciples are with Jesus up in the north, right? And Jesus asks them, who do the disciples say that I am? And they say different things. And then Peter says, you're the Messiah. And what does Jesus say to him back? He says, you are Petros. And upon this Petra, I will build my church. So upon this rock, upon this stone, I will build my church. Not necessarily just Peter, although he was one of the first great pastors, but upon this declaration that I'm the Messiah, on this truth, I will build my church. And we get to be the ones who build upon that foundation. The other verse I was thinking about is 1 Corinthians chapter 3, where we're told, remember uh, the Corinthians, I always love, that's one of my favorite books of the, of the Bible, the Corinthians. It would always be nice to be the Philippian church. You know, it's all love and joy. We're all getting along together. But the Corinthian church is just like problem after problem and trouble after trouble. And yet it's that church that gets that most beautiful description of love right in the middle in chapter 13. So I think when there's trouble, love is very bold and clear. (laughs) But in Corinthians, remember they were arguing like, I follow Paul and I follow Apollo. So there was all this disagreement and division. And then Paul says, don't say that you follow me or you follow Apollos. Who are we? We're just men. And we're just building We're just planting seeds, some plant and some water, but it's God that causes the growth. And there's also, after he talks about the word picture of uh, planting and seeds, then he says this, you are God's building. And I built this foundation, but everyone who builds on it has to build carefully afterwards. So it's another description of how we're part of this. We're the living stones and we're part of building more. We're building this church together. And it's so exciting. So I just want to encourage you as you go home, Of course, you took a lot of pictures of stones because it's amazing. It really is. The engineering of the Romans is unbelievable. But for me, my favorite books to read, and there's nothing even close besides the Bible, uh, not even Joel's book, sorry, (laughs) are biographies. I love biographies, Christian biographies, because we're part of that great cloud of witnesses, the ones who walked on those roads, on those stones. We're now walking on those stones. For thousands of years, people have been walking on these stones thinking about Jesus, thinking about the Lord. How could we be close to him? And we all have the answer to that because we're alive. We're living stones with the Holy Spirit in us. So I love reading those books because we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. And when I'm walking in the city, that's one of the things I can't help but think. All the people that came before me, 
and how I want to walk forward faithfully, bravely, courageously, sacrificially, humbly. These are what we want to be doing. The last verse I wanted to share is from Psalm 122. I love this verse. You know, in Psalm 122 is that famous command, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. But just after that verse is another wonderful verse you shouldn't overlook, which says, because it's for my brothers and sisters and companions sake that I will say peace be within these walls. It's for my brothers and sisters and companions sake. So I know you've only got to meet a few believers that live here, but there's more. There's not enough. But I really pray that when you go back, you're thinking about uh, faces, about living stones that live here, that need your prayers, that need your support, that need you to remember them. It's for their sake. So in my Bible, next to this verse, I write all the names of the people that I know that are here serving in ministry. It's for their sake that I'm praying for peace in this place so they can keep uh, being those living stones and they can keep proclaiming the gospel. So that's my encouragement to you guys. Thanks for listening. (laughs) Hi, I'm Rebecca Scott. As a servant of God, wife, and mother of four, I understand the juggle of multiple roles and stages. That's why I created the Encourager podcast to help guide us through the messy middle stage of life. Join me on the Encourager as we challenge the chaos and embrace harmony. Together, we'll create practical systems to balance your roles and fulfill priorities. And we will do it while having joy and energy for both home and work life. Tune in for inspiring stories and interviews, actionable tips, and methods to do both home and work life. Because here, we believe you can do all things, just not all at once. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Our verse of the day today is found in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 6. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Our prayer requests today are, number one, to pray that more people in Israel, the Middle East, and around the world will understand the signs of the times and be willing to take decisive steps to come to faith in Jesus. And secondly, to pray for believers in Israel, the Middle East, and around the world that they come to understand the scriptures better and be willing to share the gospel with others around them 
in these last days. But uh, we we needed to bring you here to the Mount of Olives. Uh, we, this is the IMAX, you know, Kodak picture spot. You know, this is, I would say, the best view that there is uh, of the old city. And this is the Mount of Olives. So you have all preached, you've all studied the word, and you all know the things that happen up here. But just by way of reminder, this is where Jesus is sitting with the disciples in Matthew 24. And they say what? They say, now as he sat... On the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, So tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? They're just asking for one sign, and Jesus gives them an entire sermon with one sign after another, after another, after another. Now, as much as I would love to uh, go verse by verse uh, and uh, syllable by syllable, uh, we're not going to do that, uh, especially because you know the story. But to sit here and think about that question— well, when? You know, many people still want to know that. And he doesn't give us that answer, of course, but he does tell us what to be watching for. And we know these things are uh, starting with, uh, he, it's interesting that he starts with deception, false messiahs, false teachers. But this is what he's most concerned about, is spiritual deception, leading sheep away from the true shepherd, from the chief shepherd of our souls. And he goes through, you know, war and rumors of war and kingdom against kingdom, nation against nation, persecution, famine. But, of course, uh, there are two good things that he says to watch for. Most of them are pretty bad. And, of course, he describes them as birth pangs. So the key there is uh, to think about how in, in a birth pang, right, it's a contraction and a release. A contraction and a release. And as you're getting closer to the moment that you want for the woman to be done already and for both husband and wife for this expected one to arrive, right, the coming one to arrive, the, uh, in, this, in, in, the, in the case of a baby or in our case, the Messiah, it's going to get more intense, those contractions, more painful, and the respite between the two contractions is going to be shorter, right? Contraction, release, contract. So we need to be thinking that it's not always horrible as we get closer to the return of Christ. There's contraction, there's a release, there's a contraction, a release. I think the Middle East right now is in a release moment, mostly. Not if you live in Syria, but it's not genocide right now. You know, you've got the Abraham Accords, you've got six Arab Israeli peace treaties. Why is Israel fighting with ourselves? The way Matan Kahana says he needed bodyguards to protect him, not from Arab terrorists, Islamist terrorists, but from fellow Jews, religious Jews, and he's a religious Jew. Why? Because the context is we're in such a moment of calm and security for Israel that it's allowing for Jews to turn against each other on internal issues. That's actually an interesting indicator of the times that we're living in, that we're in a release moment. But the next contractions are coming. But the two positive ones, I just want to note briefly. One is uh, Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel of the kingdom, right, this good news of the kingdom of Jesus Christ shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end shall come. By the way, that contrasts with the apocalyptic uh, eschatology of the Iranian Shia regime, Right. Because they're they believe that if you kill, you know, massive amounts of Jews and Christians, that will create the conditions for the for their Messiah, so to speak, uh, their savior, the 12th Imam or the Mahdi to come. Right. So they believe you need to kill as many Jews and Christians as possible. And then the end shall come. And our job is to try to save as many uh, people as we possibly can. And then the end shall come. But the key there is the expectation is built into that prophecy is that. The, the gospel will be preached to all nations, and then the end shall come. Now, I, I can't say that I 
believe necessarily that means that we will end up before the rapture being able to reach every single person with the gospel. But we're pretty close to that anyway. We're, you're, you're really down to subset uh, heart languages. But if you got in terms of the macro languages, it's the most you know gospel saturation ever in human history in 2000 years. But are we there yet? Only God knows in terms of the rapture. But I believe the fullness of, you know, there are, there's filaments of, of Bible prophecy and there's fulfillments. Okay. So we're in a, we're approaching a filament, as it were, of uh, the nations being reached with the gospel, but we're not going to get to the fulfillment of Matthew 24, 14 until we get to the end of the tribulation. Remember all that happens in the tribulation. We won't go through Revelation verse by verse right now. And you're like, oh, thank God. But they're like, is the end here? Yes, it is. But uh, right, but we're talking about 144,000 Jewish Billy Grahams being spread out all across the planet preaching the gospel, right? We're talking about an angel flying through the air preaching the gospel. We're talking about two witnesses, maybe Moses and Elijah, uh, standing in front of a rebuilt temple. In this case, the third temple, uh, the one that will eventually be taken over by the Antichrist. But they'll be preaching the gospel right out front. And if it is Moses and Elijah, we don't know that for certain, but I think that Sounds good. I mean, who am I to say? But uh, they're the ones that were standing up on the uh, Mount of Transfiguration, right, with Jesus. Imagine Moses, the icon of the law, being the one saying, no, no, the law was given to you to show you you can't do it. You need a Messiah. And by the way, Yeshua is he. And then Elijah talking about, like, and if you don't believe this, fire is going to fall from heaven and take you out. Don't go there. So the gospel is going to be preached dramatically to every nation. And because the nations are going to be shaken so badly in that period, people will be listening. And they will have their chance to receive or reject. So, but that's a positive that everyone will have a chance to hear. And then the other positive, uh, as I read it, is the parable of the fig tree. So very briefly, if I can find it. And they, no, nothing is the same in somebody else's Bible. Man, it's just terrible, you know. So uh, in the beginning in um, 32, now learn this parable from the fig tree. So parables, we already know it's a, it's a word picture. It's designed to obscure we often talk about it and we, we say this casually and inaccurately. Oh, parables are designed to help us understand better. Well, that's true for a spirit-filled believer, but actually that's not why parables were given. Jesus said parables were given to obscure truth from people who weren't going to listen anyway, but to say they heard it, but they, they didn't get it. So this is a parable that not everyone has gotten. But learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and put forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, all these other signs, check, 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 check on the list, when you see all these things, know that it, the arrival of Jesus, is near, that his hand is right on the door, in a sense, that he's at the doors. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Now, my friend Anne Graham Lott is convinced that since she was born uh, one week to the day after the rebirth of the state of Israel in May of 1948, that it's her generation that won't pass away. It doesn't mean that she or her friends won't pass away, but the generation won't. I said, maybe. You might be right, Anne, but you got it. I asked you to just be cautious because what if, it, what if the clock starts in 67 with the reunification of Jerusalem, Right. We, we can't be that definitive. So I don't emphasize that portion. What I emphasize is the parable of the fig tree. The fig tree 
And again, we're not going to go verse by verse. I'm just trying to help you feel a little bit about it. But if you go back to the Old Testament, the time after time after time, the fig tree is one of the word pictures God uses for Israel. Uh, Jeremiah 24, for example, is a whole story about here's a basket of bad figs and here's a basket of good figs. The bad figs represent Jews who are going to reject God and his word. And the good figs are Jews, Israel, that say yes to God's word. They're both Jews. They're both Israel. Some are good. Some are bad. Some say yes. Some say no to God and his word. Jews, it's Israel. So this parable is when all these other things are happening, but then Israel re-blossoms as an actual sovereign nation, then you'll know that things are near, that the hand of the Messiah is right on the door to re-enter history. And I find that fascinating. I find it riveting, but maybe different from some people who study and and teach Bible prophecy. I'm a very applied science person. To me, that inspires me not to focus on exactly when or even bowls and trumpets, none of which I'll be around for anyway, I believe. So the question is, what do I do if the rapture were to happen in my lifetime? Now would be good. If it happened in our lifetime, will I be able to stand before the Messiah and be confident that Lynn and I and our kids and the Joshua Fund and anyone that we have influence with, hopefully, has done everything possible to make sure everybody has heard the gospel? And when you think of the heart of the Joshua Fund, it's really about, yes, it's about strengthening the church in order to do what? To make sure that everybody in this land has at least heard. How can they call on someone they've never even heard of? Most Jews have never heard the gospel. They're not rejecting the gospel. They, they're rejecting the history of Christianity and its relationship to the Jewish people. And so since every nation will be reached by the time that Jesus comes back, we want to be a part of planting seeds and giving the church the capacity in local heart languages to make sure everybody's heard. Then they can make their own decision for or against. And um, so I, we get excited about that. And whenever I come here to the Mount of Olives, I think this is the very conversation. And now we're living 2,000 years. I think of it like a bookend. This conversation, Matthew 24, is the beginning of a conversation. They think it, they're convinced that the, the return of Jesus is very, very soon. Paul thought it was very, very soon in his lifetime. The, the Thessalonians thought, did we even miss it? Right? So for them, eminency meant in their lifetime. But, you know, okay, they were wrong. But when we stand here, or in this case, sit here, in the reborn sovereign nation state of Israel, we're seeing the fulfillment, but not yet the fulfillment, of these ancient prophecies about Israel reblossoming. And that means we are very, very close to the return of Jesus, which ought to do two things. Get us thinking about our own holiness, our own sanctification, asking the Lord to refresh, revive, purify us so that we can stand before the Lord with the blood of Christ purifying us and not being ashamed when Christ comes for us. And secondly, that we are found faithful, though. He says, my good and faithful servant, that you're found faithful. And that means making sure we've done everything we can uh, to reach our Jerusalem, our Judea, Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. Now, you guys live in the very ends of the earth. Jerusalem is actually our Jerusalem. One of the things I love the most about living in this country and living in the city is I don't have to extrapolate, you know, what's my Jerusalem? That's pretty clear. It's also pretty clear how hard it is. Um, I'm going to give that back. So I want to just wrap up with a few thoughts, and then we're going to, you can take your pictures, and we're going to back down the bus, and then I'm just going to share a little bit while you're sitting in air conditioning, and I'm going to make a few more points while we drive that I would have made here. But I want to just, uh, I want to talk about the fact, no, you know what? I'm going to stop. 
take your pictures and we're gonna I'm gonna share a little bit on the bus and let's let's just stop here. But let's let's pray for the peace of Jerusalem right here. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this city that you called your own. And we just pray in the name of Jesus, the King and Messiah who's coming to this mountain, to this city, that you would uh, move powerfully, you'd pour out your Holy Spirit, that you would stop hiding your face from the people of this land, Jewish, Muslim, and all the other religions and and races uh, here in this country. Lord, we pray you do a mighty, mighty work. We see you doing it already. We pray that you'd accelerate it, Lord, and you'd show each of us our place in fulfilling the Great Commission in this place, the place of your birth, Lord Jesus, the place of your death and resurrection, and the place where you're coming back. Show us how to do the work you want us to do anyway. In the great name of our King and coming Savior, Jesus the Messiah. Amen. Well, thank you for listening to this fascinating episode about the signs of the end times and reminding ourselves that we are living stones. If you found this podcast truly valuable, please get in touch with us. Let us know who you are. Do you want to talk about something else on this show? Do you have a question you want Joel to answer? Your feedback is incredibly valuable to us as we develop this podcast. You can send any comments you may have to podcast at joshuafund.net. And as always, you can check out our show notes for anything you heard on the podcast that you'd like more information on. For Joel Rosenberg and the Joshua Fund ministry team, I'm Carl Muller. Thanks again for listening to this episode of Inside the Epicenter with Joel Rosenberg. I'm Don Hawkins, inviting you to be encouraged with my weekly podcast, Encouragement for You. To subscribe, go to lifeaudio.com.